Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Struggling with the Bums. Today, we have another special episode with a special guest. Um, today, me, Eddie, and Michael, Eddie's brother, will be talking about The Hobbit, which is a, another series within the world of Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, we're, we're all kind of nerds about this stuff. I love talking about it. But I'm going to, disclaimer, I am not an expert on The Hobbit. So I don't want any of these Lord of the Rings peers coming after me. Because I've seen it on I've seen it on Reddit, and it gets ugly. I, I don't want anything to do with that. But starting off, uh, Michael, what got you into The Hobbit? Was, was it initially the movies coming out, or were you already tapped in? Uh, yeah, first off, <clears throat> I want to say the same thing. I'm no expert either, so I did just rewatch all of them right before this podcast. Uh, but uh, what got me into it was just, uh, I think it's pretty simple. I love Lord of the Rings, and therefore, I'm pretty much going to watch anything that comes out related to it. And it's in a similar way to, like, Star Wars or Marvel, anything they come out with, I'm probably going to go watch it. So I, I'd known a little bit about The Hobbit beforehand, just that it was about Bilbo and a dragon. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know too much, and so, yeah, I was really excited to go watch the movies when they came out. Yeah, that's what's up. What about you, Eddie? Uh, I remember buying this book about dragons back at the scholarship fair that we talked about in our books episode. And in it, it was like, it talked about smog as like mythical dragons that came out in like different stories. And I was like, who the hell is this smog guy? Because I saw the, the photo of where he's from. It said like Mount Erebor. And it was like Middle Earth. And I was like, wait a minute, like this is Lord of the Rings. And it was like, oh, Bilbo fought him. And I'm like, wait, what the hell? And then obviously years later, you know, the Hobbit movies came out. Um, and I learned that the Hobbit itself was a book that was a prequel essentially before Lord of the Rings. Um, so yeah, it's kind of fun. But he read the book. My, yeah, Michael read the book. When did you, when did you read it though? See, the, the problem is I thought I read it before I watched the movies because I remember going into the first movie, coming out of the, at the end of the movie, and I was thinking, wait a minute. Like, we've already been in the theater for like two and a half hours. There's no way we're getting to the end of this, to the end of the book in this one movie. But also, that came out when I was like in fifth grade. There's no way I read The Hobbit in, before fifth grade. I'm pretty sure I read it in middle school, so... So that's that's a funny point that I want to tap into because as I was doing a little research myself, you know, I, the common theme I found on YouTube was that a lot of people hate The Hobbit because it, they're like, it didn't need to be three movies, which I'm on the side of, look, if they want to make a 20-hour Lord of the Rings movie, I'm 24 hours, I'm going to sit there, whatever it takes. Like, I'm just that type of person. But I was kind of curious, since you have read the book, like, do you feel like they did a bad job in making it essentially a seven-hour film, in, in a sense, where it maybe only should have been a two- to three-hour movie? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember a lot from the book. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when you watch the movies, it's like there's no way they could have fit all that in a one three-hour movie. So even though if you think they could have done it based on the book, the way they did it, the way they chose to do it, I don't know. It seems like for me that it was fine. Uh, but, and especially with all the things that they wanted to add to it to make it, I mean, 
lot of the things they added just for you know the the story or to make it more related to Lord of the Rings, the movies. I think it was fine that they made three movies, honestly. Yeah, I don't understand and, why people hate. And it originally that. was supposed to be only two movies, like during like when Guillermo del Toro was still supposed to be director and working with Peter Jackson and other writers. It was going to be like two movies, um, huh. and then eventually they were making it all and it was like oh shit we got like a lot of stuff we're gonna have to split it into three and then yeah it, it was because they also added a bunch of stuff like legolas isn't supposed to be in it there's no tariel you know azog actually dies at the battle of the mines of moria like so there's a lot of things that they you know changed which i felt like fit pretty well within the story so i mean i'm not opposed i guess even though i haven't read the book but yeah yeah well, moving forward, we're gonna deep. We're gonna dive deeper into each movie. Eddie, would you mind telling everyone kind of a little summary of The Hobbit: The Unexpected Journey, which came out in 2012? Fun fact: that was the first movie I ever went with like a guy group of friends to go see. We kind of mobbed that. So interesting. Cool. Yeah. The the pre experience for college when we mobbed every movie together. <laughs> yeah. Real. Oh, dude. Packed all theaters. What- do you imagine what we would have been like if we went to go see Lord of the Rings in theater? Bro, I probably would have got removed. I would have been losing. Oh, I still can't watch uh, Return of the King without going a little wild. So it is what it is. But. Uh, yeah, the first movie, uh, Unexpected Journey, I think in – see, and I'll just make this early comment. On TV right now, they've been playing Battle of the Five Armies a lot. For those that have, like, direct TV – so like the, the one movie you usually watch most of the time is Battle of the Five Armies, just because it's like obviously the most action-packed, etc. But like the unexpected journey was like really fun. It really was a nice introduction. It really felt like Fellowship of the Ring in a lot of ways, while also being its own thing. And I think the other cool part that I'll probably talk about more as we keep talking is from what I've gathered from like the Silmaril- Silmarillion and even Hobbit and Lord of the Rings is there really isn't a lot known about the dwarves. So to have a story where the main character gets to hang out with the dwarves that much is so cool. Um, so basically, getting introduced to Bilbo is kind of, uh, for the most part, the same Bilbo that we meet later on in the Fellowship of the Rings, a little grumpy guy, likes to keep to himself. Um, and then all of a sudden, Gandalf, I think Gandalf shows up first, or no, a dwarf shows up first. It was a Gandalf. Yeah, because yeah, he first. does a symbol. Right. And then all of a sudden, all these dwarves keep coming in, and he's like, what the fuck is happening? They keep showing up. They keep showing up. They're like, oh, we're here for dinner or whatever. And I love when, like, the big the big one, the, like, the main fighter guy, what's his name? Dwalin. Yeah. Comes in, and, like, Bobo's like, uh, can I help you? And the, he just, like, death glares to Bobo. And Bobo's like, all right, like, come on in um and so he's kind of like what the hell is going on and then you know thorn and the rest come in and i think everyone will remember them singing that song when they're making like the dinner and stuff like that which was really uh cool again it's like you get a nice view into like dwarven culture in some ways and you know gandalf tells him what the deal is he brings out the contract he's like yo we need you to sneak into erebor basically to help us steal this stuff back um and he's like, what? I mean, I think this kind of goes to the whole idea of like, imagine just being plucked out from your normal life and being told you got to go miles away to go help someone, you know? 
It's like, uh, I guess. So that was a cool scene. Gets him to sign the contract. You know, they scare him a little bit about how dragon fire might burn you. You don't even feel anything. You just, everything gets super hot and then you die. Uh, for those that may not remember, that was a hilarious scene. Um, and so then they go off on their journey and he almost misses it because they leave. And he's like, wait, that wasn't just a fever dream. And he runs them down and, and they all made bets about whether or not he was actually going to come along. So they start traveling. They travel throughout the countryside. Um, I believe they enter a forest. They come upon that bear guy. I guess that was extent. No, is that in the second movie? Okay, so second movie. I, mean, I know. See, I'm getting this confused myself. They're traveling. I know they run into the cave of trolls where they find certain weapons such as Sting, Glamdring, and Orcris. And then they do run into actual trolls and they almost get eaten and Bilbo's able to get them out of that. Uh, and Gandalf helps, you know, end it all. That was another great funny scene. And they run into, they get hunted by the orcs um, and they're able to get away hiding in a cave and the elves come in from Rivendell, end up killing all the orcs basically. And then they make it into Rivendell, which Gandalf's been trying to get them to go to, but they didn't want to because dwarves and elves hate each other. And they get there and they have a chance to meet and talk with everybody. And then Gandalf kind of distracts their council um and the dwarves get away and keep going on towards mount erebor they end up in the caves uh they run into some goblins uh including the big goblin yeah with the big ass neck um bilbo somehow gets away from them all and ends up running into the golem steals the ring and then they have a uh riddle off which is actually a pretty good riddle off to be honest it's very enjoyable um and then Gandalf helps them escape once again. They kill the big goblin. They escape. And as they're trying to get out of the caves, you know, Bilbo sees them, is able to rejoin them after deciding to spare Gollum. Yeah, by putting on the ring, he's able to escape from Gollum. And then once they get out to the side, you know, Bilbo kind of reconvinces them why he's there to help them out. It's actually a pretty good speech as well. And then the orcs come again, this time led by Azog and, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they give you a good idea of like why they, or no, in the middle of the movie, Balin tells uh, Bilbo why Thorin is going to Erebor and like their hate for Azog and the orcs and because of the Battle of Moria. And so at the end of the movie, they meet again. He like, not teases, what's the right word? He taunts Thorin into fighting him. They end up all fighting and they're only able to be saved by the eagles. Um, and yeah, it kind of ends the movie basically after that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it look everyone, it's like a two hour and like almost fit. It's almost a three hour movie. So there, you know, watch it yourself. You know, Eddie covered it well, but there, there's a lot of details of stuff going on. So just keep that in mind, but going forward with it, favorite character throughout the first film, Eddie, Michael. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. <clears throat> um, it, I, I'd say it's probably a tie <clears throat> between uh, Bofer and Keeley. Uh, but Eddie had mentioned the when they were joking about dying by dragon fire, and that was Bofer who was. Well, that was him, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was Bofer who was telling him about it. And he was like, "Oh, it's nothing. You know, you just get really hot and then incinerates you, and it's he's really funny." And then he's also the one who, when Bobo tries to leave the goblin cave, he talks to and. 
you know, he Bofors like, you know, I, I wish you the best. So, like he's really nice and he's really funny. And he's actually very funny throughout the rest of the uh, movies. Uh, and Kiwi's just really cool because he's like an archer dwarf, which I think I find cool. And he also blocked arrows in the when they're fighting the goblins, which is oh, yeah. impressive. That's just awesome. So what about you, Eddie? Uh, I gotta go with I think Bilbo and Gandalf. I feel like they're once again Gandalf had that charisma. I think Ian McKellen playing that character, and for the people that are actually read Lord of and stuff like that, I don't know if he was the perfect Gandalf or not. But man, on film, I feel like he is the perfect Gandalf. Um, and I loved him and his interaction with Bilbo, and then Bilbo throughout that first movie, especially, was just comedic. Really was. I mean, it's just great stuff. Martin Freeman did a great job playing that that role. Uh, absolutely. I got to go Gandalf for myself, man. I mean, I feel like he's just carrying that team for the entire movie in a way. It's like it's all Gandalf or nothing type thing. Because Thorne, man, Thorne takes a while to – he's hard to like in the first movie. Even after you hear the story, it's like, yeah, but he's still a dick to Bilbo for, like, really no good reason. I don't eh. – yeah, I gotta go Gandalf. Uh, favorite scene from the first film? Nope. Eddie? Uh, I'm trying to think of what would be. I feel like when he's talking to them, there's actually so many great scenes in there. Because even like them getting their swords was so cool because it was like, oh, those that's the sting. Right? That's, that's glam dream, right? Like, it's so cool. But I will say when they're going to be cooked by the trolls and like Bilbo's just talking to them saying, oh, you should spit them and, and do this. Like he's talking with their cook about how to properly treat and cook doors was funny. That was a great scene. That was like that Good comedic team. like charisma that you get from, from Bilbo. Oh, yeah. Spot on. Uh, <clears throat> so I don't, there's no like one scene that was my favorite. It's <clears throat> really a combination of like three uh, it's every time the or the dwarves charge in the battle, uh, and they play that song. It's called Roast Button, uh, and it, it, it's when they fight, go against the trolls, the orcs, and the goblins. It is three times. Uh, it's just really cool because like it'll show you that like they're about to be overrun or something, and then all of a sudden here come twelve dwarves charging against the whole army, and it's it's just really cool. Even though they ne- they don't always actually. Yeah, they don't always win the fight. It's still cool that scene when they come charging in with the music. Just It's just really cool to watch. Yeah, I'm going to have to piggyback and say that's definitely tied for my number one. Definitely, I, I love when you see how Thorin Oakenshield got his name, Thorin Oakenshield. That is just, it's just like, wow, that is brutal hand-to-hand warfare right there. It's crazy. It's like, where, where, where was the squad from uh, Lord of the Rings helping them out when they're going through that? Um, but then Bilbo's speech at the very end is just like, man, make, makes you feel brave. It makes you want to, like, do something good, I feel like, after you hear you know, a guy that starts out the movie as a thief and pretty selfish to really kind of develop into thinking about others more. So last thing I want to go over, thoughts on, like, any social commentary from – the Hobbit, because obviously Lord of the Rings is almost entire. Well, Tolkien's almost fully inspired by World War One and some of his own thoughts on social commentary. I wonder if you guys, if there's anything particular from The Hobbit 
that you guys saw or any maybe even just themes like anything like that yeah actually there are a couple things hit me for whatever reason i've been more aware of some of these stuff a couple things did hit me i know tolkien fought world war one and i think that this first movie this part of the book i think hits on him living his life in england but like far away is world war one and then he gets called up to go do that and at first it's like man why would i want to but it's like no i gotta go do it right like it's that speech at the end saying hey this isn't my home but you know what you know i'll fight for your home because i can't imagine someone coming to my home and doing something and i feel like that is reflected greatly in this first movie that piece and the loss of innocence as well where it's like he finally joins like i feel like to your point it's like at first he's just kind of there but then he has to fight like a goblin he kills one kind of and then like he has to fight the wars and he ends up killing one of them right like that was kind of those moments of stepping over into becoming something else so yeah yeah i i think uh oh go ahead michael you ever uh <clears throat> you go ahead yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Eddie. I mean, I think I interpret it almost as like the dwarves are maybe in a way the refugees that came to England during World War One, or maybe in the Allied forces that were there. And it's like, I think it's that realization of like you, I mean, you, I'm copying what you said that, yes, it's peaceful here, but there is a threat that I, you know, should go help these people deal with. Like they don't have a home. It's been taken but these bad people that will eventually come take my home, which I think is a common theme throughout Lord of the Rings. And I think that's Tolkien's way of, you know, kind of justifying a lot of like maybe Western ideologies on warfare and doing the right thing and stuff. But yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Michael. Uh, Yeah. I didn't really pick up on anything in terms of like Tolkien's background in this movie, Uh, but I did find some cool parallels with fellowship of the ring uh, the speech that Gandalf gives to Bilbo about uh, like courage and about it being knowing when not to kill someone and how we see, you know, Bilbo spare Gollum's life because he could have killed him when he had the ring on. It's a very similar speech that Gandalf gives to Frodo in the Fellowship of the Ring when Frodo says we should just kill Gollum and Gandalf says, wait a minute, you know, don't be so eager to take someone's life. I thought that was really cool parallel of Gandalf giving advice to Bilbo. The same advice that he'll give to Frodo years later in the uh, Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, another excellent point. I think that, again, if you look at Tolkien, like a guy that probably was, you know, in a really intense part of World War One, And, you know, sometimes when you're in situations like that, you can get pretty – killing someone can get pretty easy. And – it really takes a person's strong moral character to be like, maybe it is easy, but it shouldn't, I shouldn't do it anyways. Like uh, he, doing the right thing. He fought at the battle of the song, which apparently yeah. is one of the bloodiest battles of world war one. My, my world war one knowledge is not great, but I at least saw that. Yeah. I know like 250,000 people died apparently during that battle. I may be wrong, but actually, I want to, I want to say I've actually like more around 400,000 actually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's like if you've seen the Tolkien movie, the way he, de- how they depict him actually fighting, yeah, people are getting like burned alive, and it, it's just wow. So yeah, I think I think there's definitely some more. There's a lot of social commentary in the Lord of the Rings when you start looking at Tolkien more. But 
moving forward, Michael, can you give us a little summary of The Hobbit, Desolation of Smog? Came out the next, that came out that next winter, right? Yeah, it was like right before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, so this movie starts out uh, with uh, Bobo, or actually, it starts out with the meeting between Gandalf and Thorin in Bree at the Prancing Pony, which is a nice little callback. Uh, and they're, they're meeting about Gandalf giving him, or showing him the key and telling him he need to go reclaim Erebor. And then it skips to Bilbo scouting out the, the orcs as they're being hunted. And then that's when, that's when they meet Bjorn because he sees the bear and tells him like, hey, there's something big, there's something else out there besides the orcs. And so Gandalf, so they run to Bjorn's house uh, as Bjorn in his bear form is chasing them and they barely make it into his cabin and that's you know Gandalf explains that that is actually Bjorn the person's house they're in and that he's a skin changer I believe something might might I might get that wrong but uh so yeah that that's what he is in that in his bear form you can't really reason with him because he's you know not reasonable and but that and so they stay the night there and then Bjorn comes in in the morning and they talk to him and he tells them how he hates dwarves, but that he hates, hates orcs more because the orcs enslaved his people. And so he helps them on their, he gives them ponies so they can get to Mirkwood and be able to outrun the orcs. And then they get to Mirkwood and Gandalf has to go, has to leave because he has to go investigate whether the Witch King's grave was uh, empty or not because they uh, Radagast had found the blade, his blade in the first movie and so they go into Mirkwood and Gandalf tells them to stay on the path and of course they don't stay on the path and they become all loopy and everything and then that's when the spiders come and capture all of them uh, thankfully Bilbo is able to get out of his spider web thing and is, uh, is able to use the ring puts on the ring again, kills some spiders, distracts them, and then is able to get everyone else out. And so then they start fighting the spiders, and then that is when the elves come. And they just, I mean, the elves just take care of everything because they're just that good. Uh, and then they take the orcs into, uh, takes the or, or sorry, take the dwarves into custody, and Bobo, still has the ring on so he's able to follow them in without being noticed and, and so they're all in prison that's when you get to see Legolas and Tariel for the first time and Tariel and Keely start you know becoming close and Bilbo goes and helps them escape gets the keys and they all get out and he tells he brings them down to the cellar room and says get in the barrels and they're all like what do you mean get in the barrels like guys trust me get in the barrels so he gets them all in the barrels and then releases them so they can go down into the into the river so they can escape and it is a funny scene because Bobo does it and then he's standing there realizing wait a minute I, I need to go too and then and then they figure out that everyone's escapes so they start running down to the cellar and he walks over and tries to step on the board so it falls and then it finally falls and it's it's a really funny scene uh and he's you know and going back to what i said about the comedic you know bobo martin freeman did that really well his facial expressions and that is excellent he did 
Uh, and so they get in the river and they start floating down. And just before they get to the gate, the elders are able to close it. And then that's when the orcs attack uh, because the exit gate is much less guarded than everywhere else in the Elven Kingdom. And so they get there, the elves start fighting with the orcs. That's when Kiwi gets shot with the poisoned arrow. Uh, and he's able to go up and open the gates so that the dwarves keep floating down the river. They keep fighting the orcs. And it's, I mean, it's pretty cool fighting in water. And then also, yeah. Anyway, they go down. They eventually are able to escape the dwarves or the orcs. Uh, and they finally get out of the river. They get on land. And that's when they meet Bard, who is a bargeman from Lake Town. And they offer to pay him money to smuggle them to Lake Town because they need to get across the lake in order to get to Erebor. And so they do that. And it's, I mean, that's also a pretty funny scene, uh, getting all the fish dumped on them and everything. But in those same barrels, they're able to get into Lake Town. And it's also funny when he brings them up through the toilet uh, into, into his bard's house. But then they finally get into his house and they want to get weapons and everything. And of course, there's no weapons for Bard to really give them. And so they try and go steal some from the armory and they get caught. And then that's when they explain to the master and everyone who they are, that he's that he's Thorin, the son of Thrain, son of Thor, and that it's his, he's the king or the heir, should be the king under the mountain. And once he tells them that and says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you all rich, give you, you know, share the treasure, then they're all like, oh my God, we need to send them on their way with everything we can give them and so they do that and the next day they head off and uh both it's funny because both misses the uh he misses the boat uh but then also keely has to stay behind because he got shot with the poison arrow and he's not doing very well and so feely stays with them his brother and i don't know what his name is he has the ear horn, right? Yeah, he's and he says he has to stay because it's his job to take care of the sick or something. So they all stay. So only four of them. While the rest, Thorn and all them go uh, with the boat to Erebor. Or at least to get on land in order to go to Erebor. And then that's also when the orcs come to Lake Town and attack, uh, trying to find Thorn and company, although they only find uh, four of them there. Uh, that's also when Tario and Legolas come because Tario is banished because she wants to go and help Kiwi and Legolas comes with her. And so they fight off all the orcs there, which is another cool scene, watching them just slay a whole bunch of orcs. Uh, and as they're doing that, that is when uh, Thorn and Bilbo and the rest of them find the hidden door to Erebor. And in doing that, they send Bilbo in to go find the Arkenstone. And Bilbo accidentally awakens Smog, and they have a cool little dialogue back and forth. Uh, and finally, Smog tries to kill Bilbo, and then Bilbo has to run, and all the orcs come down. Or sorry, I don't know why I keep calling them orcs. Dwarves all come down with to Bilbo, and so now they're all running away from Smog, who's trying to kill them, and finally they're able to get him into like the king's room where they drop a whole bunch of gold. hot metal gold or yeah. hot liquid gold at this point because yeah. it's hot and dumps it all on him they think it might kill him 
it doesn't he's a dragon and so he gets really angry and says i'm gonna go take out lake town as revenge and so small so the end of the movie is small going towards lake town and the people of lake town terrified because they're about to be destroyed by a dragon yeah that damn that was really good i that was really good um but yeah the second film i tell me if i'm wrong i think it's it's my least favorite in the trilogy of the hobbit I think it's a I think it's a tough transition film. I it's not bad. I'm I just think it, you know, I love the beginning of the Hobbit. The middle there's nothing wrong with the middle. I think I just I love the Battle of Five Armies the most, probably like the average person. I don't know. Thoughts on that? Do you guys think like the second one is maybe the maybe I don't know. I think it has to do a lot <clears throat> and maybe it just didn't have the same gravitas as the Two Towers did, um, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I think Desolation of Small is pretty good, especially because they finally get to, to the Mount Erebor. But in the whole, yeah, I mean, I think I pretty much put it on par with the first movie. Um, and I think the third movie would probably be my favorite. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'd say I actually like it more than the first one. Really? Yeah, I think okay. it was, I mean... Well, uh, I think a lot of it was introducing like Bard and Tario and Legolas, so to get some really cool new characters, I think, which helps. But yeah, I think just like just not like way better than the first one, just I like it a little bit better. All right, fair enough. Favorite character from the second film? I'm gonna say Bard probably because he's like the only guy that's like thinking about everything logically. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. These guys are here. That means we're about to get oh, smoked shit. by a dragon. Like kick crap. these guys out. We need to kick these guys out. Yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah. Uh, but I will That's also Bilbo because, like, again, it, it, he just did such a great job with his faces and everything. That's just fantastic. Uh, what about yeah, you, Michael? Yeah, I, I have to agree with Bard. I mean, he's just – he's really cool. Like, he's also, like, really righteous. And, I mean, Alfred – jokingly and sarcastically calls him like the protector of the common folk which i think if you ever get that title you're doing something right and obviously everyone knows that he's like the one watching out for everyone and so it is i mean i saw and then he can like fight pretty well though we don't really see that until the next movie but yeah he's a really cool guy uh and i also like tariel as well uh, i think she's really cool and also how she questions thranduriel a lot about his unwillingness to help others so i thought that was cool cool dynamic yeah i'll keep piggybacking off that i think tariel and my my opinion is my favorite one of my favorite lord of the rings characters i just think she's she's a straight up badass i mean the way she fights is so smooth man i mean she her and legolas i i think legolas wins of course but still it's it's just ridiculous. And then I like, yeah, how she's not really a yes man. And out of all the races, I have a hard time liking elves. Like, I, I understand, but it's their – it's just how they go about everything that just makes them seem like dicks. And it's like she's like the most anti-elven elven person. Uh, they're really pretentious. Maybe that's the word I'm thinking of. Like, elves are just so hard for me to like. Besides Legolas and uh, her, it's like, 
mm, everybody else i don't i don't know i don't know but yeah she's definitely my favorite character in the second film um moving forward even some more favorite scene in the second one uh i think it's when they finally get into air war i like that even though they all walked away it was bilbo that like was like wait a minute wait a minute you know that hidden the last light on Durin's day it's this and ends up getting in there to meet smog and his interaction with smog too was really fun yeah what about you michael <clears throat> yeah this one was hard there was definitely some some cool scenes uh i think i'll have to go so hard uh, I'll, I'll go with the the bomber scene when they're going down the river and bomber's the really big dwarf and his uh his barrel goes goes up onto the ground and it starts it literally starts taking out orcs as he's rolling and then it stops rolling and all of a sudden <clears throat> he shoots his legs and his arms out and breaks through the barrel and like he still can't really see because barrels over his face but he has like weapons in both of his hands with orcs coming and he literally just spins like two or three times and starts killing a whole bunch of orcs with a barrel yeah. all over his body. It's it's pretty funny. That was something I think they did really well in the Hobbit. Where like Lord of the Rings felt more Lord of the Rings felt more um not legitimate, but like it felt more serious. real and serious. But the Hobbit kind of gave that mythic feel to everyone where you know I'm pretty sure it's in that scene Legolas is it Legolas does the splits and kills. Yeah. <clears throat> like it gave a lot of mythical aspect to the other non-human races that I felt like was kind of missing in Lord of the Rings for whatever. I mean, I don't know why that might've been the case and I'm not going to speak too much of that, but like I enjoyed that aspect of this. And I feel like the second movie really highlighted that as, as well. Uh, this, the next movie did kind of, but I feel like the second movie did the best to do that. Yeah. You know, for me, the very end, it, I feel like it's, it, I think it's because it's more serious. Like when the, the ending, when when Smog leaves the cave and you just see see him headed for Lake Town, you're just like, dude, I just remember it. And then the movie ends. I was, bro, I was just like, what is going on? This is so crazy. I don't want to have to wait another year to see what happens. Like, I was just shock factor for me, I guess. But yeah, I love that scene. Because it's like, oh, it's about to get real in the next movie, which it does. Um, honestly, Eddie, would you like to cover the the third the third one? Just because you guys have been killing these, and my uh, how I would summarize it would not be near as good. So, or okay. no, I can do it. I can do it. I'll just let him know something. Um, yeah. So, Battle of Five Armies starts off Battle of Lake Town, right? Battle of Lake Town, shits on fire. The dragon's blowing everything up. The head guy tries to escape with like a bunch of gold. His shit gets flipped and he dies. But his his guy, um, Arthur, Alfred, Alfred survives, of course, because the weasel always survives. Um, anyway, so this game blown up, and uh Bard has to break his way out of jail and then gets out, gets the arrow. Um for killing dragons that they used back in Dale. Because Lake Town are essentially descendants of the people that came from Dale. And he is up on top of the highest point of the entire place. After shooting the dragon a few times with regular arrows and like just seeing that shit bounce off. Highest point. Loads up the, the couple of arrows. He's trying to get to it. It gets kind of destroyed. And so like his son literally has to be part of like 
holding up the arrow with like his back to the dragon and, and like he ends up firing the shot. Really awesome scene. Kills the dragon. Uh, although smog does fly up and then come crashing down. That's actually when the guy dies, right? When he comes crashing down, yeah. Yeah, he then they escape. The- they land on the side towards Mount Erebor, uh, where Lake Town is. Meanwhile, everyone else on Mount Erebor is just watching this shit go down, going like there's really nothing that they can do because it's so far away. Like there's nothing that they could do in that moment. Um, so they're talking about it and whatever and, and stuff like that. And like Thorin's trying to find the Arkenstone this entire time, still like. Where is that shit? Um, that's kind of one of his like descent into being very greedy is I think like a test of character. And then um, Lake Town escapes. You get Legolas and Taria helping them get to a regular place because they were still there during the fight. Um, they helped the kids escape with the dwarves. They make the land. They end up splitting up because, you know, Legolas is like, yo, we got to go check out Gundabad basically even though she wants to stay and help them. And then the doors are like, we got to go to Erebor to meet up with everyone else. So that group splits up and they head that way. And I think we go back to Gandalf's view where he is investigating, I think, Angmar or is it Gundabad? It's Angmar, right? Yeah, so he's in Angmar and he gets captured because it turns out that place has been just breeding out orcs and shit and getting ready for war. Um, And... The necromancer is back, which is really just Sauron. It's kind of a little bit confusing thing, but yeah. Anyways, um, so he gets captured and he's there. He's kind of being tortured, um, and he's kind of waiting to be rescued, kind of thing. And I believe they rescue him first before we go back to Mount Erebor, um, which is Elrond shows up with Sauron. And Galadriel and Radagast, too. They end up saving him. Uh, they all fight basically Sauron's spirit as well as the nine Nazgul. I think it was Sauron's spirit, but at least it was definitely the nine Nazgul as well, though. They had to fight off, which were really cool because it was like they're all in ghost form. Yeah. Dude, they were going crazy. They looked like Super Saiyan mode. Like, it was kind of like, I don't think... Watching the Rings, you don't understand the hype behind those characters in the beginning. But if you were to watch The Hobbit, you I don't know. I think it's interesting. It, oh, we can comment on it when we come up towards the end. Because there's definitely a scaling thing that not that I think the casual Lord of the Rings fan doesn't understand about some of these characters. So they, they fight them off. Uh, save Gandalf. Gladro goes like whatever her mode is that she does in Lord of the Rings 2. They get away. People of Lakewood make it to um, Dale, Dale and, which is just outside Erebor. And then you kind of get like them back in Erebor and you can see further Thorin's descent into kind of madness, trying to find the Arkenstone and all that stuff. And it's like, once they see them there, they're like, wait a minute, like we need to protect our stuff. And it's like, why we promised them the gold. So that's where that first argument starts once again. They start boarding up Erebor. Lake Town's like, hold up. I mean, we helped you. Our town just got burnt up. Like, why aren't you helping us? They're pretty much going to go starving until the elves from Mirkwood show up with Randuil and um, bringing a lot of food and their, almost their entire army, basically. And so they show up, and now, like, the dwarves are like, oh, shit, like, here's another army at our doorstep, essentially. Um, 
And then you kind of get another view of Gandalf and Tario at Gundabad, which is a slightly different place. And they can see that they are preparing for war as well. So they know that a lot of orcs are coming their way. Um, Gandalf shows up. He tries to get Thranduil and Bard to negotiate with Thorin um, without any bloodshed. That doesn't go so well. Thorin is just not wanting to turn anything over. So Bilbo takes it upon himself to take the Arkenstone, which he had found. After being given, after being given Mithril and having a very toxic conversation with Thorin and escapes to try and get them to trade the Arkenstone for what they want, um, and you know Thorin feels betrayed. Of course, uh, his mindset tries to kill Bilbo, um, and Bilbo is able to escape with the help of the other dwarves. And so, basically, war is the answer. They're going to fight, and then. The Dwarves of the Iron Hill, led by uh, Dane Ironfoot, shows up. Hilarious scene. Um, great actor playing him with a great Scottish accent. and uh, Or Irish accent. I don't know which one it is. But shows up. They're going back and forth. It's pretty funny. Um, and then the whole time Gandalf's like, look, guys, there's more. There's a bigger threat coming. We need to really come together. And they're just fighting and bickering. And then in comes the actual orc armies. And it's like, oh, shit, there's a lot of them. Dwarves uh, line up first, and then the elves help fight. So they kind of fight alongside one another for, like, the first time in I don't know how long. And so there's a huge-ass fight going on on the field between Dale and Erebor. And then in Lake Town, it's, or not in Lake Town, in Dale itself. It goes on for the majority of the movie, really. And uh, you get to see a lot of crazy orc orc combination trolls a lot of creatures you didn't quite get to see i think in lord of the rings and some that you did get to see um thorin finally comes to himself is able to help rally the dwarves and goes to fight azog while thranduil still holds down with bard uh dale although he kind of thranduil wants to pull out because he thinks too many elves are dying um tariel tries to get him to stay once again calling him out on his bullshit and she gets her bow cut in half unfortunately so they kind of leave the elves do tario legolas go to help the dwarves that are up on the mountain fighting which was um philly killy thorin and dwalin um and then bilbo comes to warn them about more orcs incoming philly and killy unfortunately try to investigate this cavern or the ruins where they know that azog had been unfortunately it was a trap um Keely gets killed Feely tries to avenge his brother. Kind of other way. Wait, Feely gets killed and Keely tries to go avenge his brother. My bad. And then, so they start fighting. There's more orcs coming over. Dwalin uh, and Bilbo are fighting the orcs. Thorin's going across to try and save them. You know, Tario and Mangalash show up. They're fighting more orcs. Kind of a bit of a free-for-all amongst them all. Um, Tario and Keely team up on uh, Bulg. Unfortunately, he kills Keely. Tario also loses to him, unfortunately, but she does try to like basically take him over a cliff, fails. Legolas ends up fighting him and finally kills him. Once again, total mythic, fantastical scene. And meanwhile, Azog is fighting Thorin and Bilbo gets knocked out while Dwalin is still trying to fight the orcs. And then really cool scene where Legolas finally finishes off Bulg, tosses up Orcris to... Thorin, who's fighting Azog, and they go at it. I feel like Thorin really just doesn't think a lot of things through. Should have just doubled down on killing Azog, but they ended up 
come back to bite them. So they kill each other basically. Um, and then the Eagles show up with Bjorn and they just tear apart the rest of the orc army. Um, and it's kind of it. They end up having, I don't think they have a funeral for Thor and they just all show up and are sad and Bilbo goes back home and everyone's trying to sell his stuff back home. And he comes back with, which I think is really cool. A lot of Dale equipment, including Dale shield and helmet and stuff. And, you know, proof of life. And it's really kind of a sad scene, but like a really cool scene. Like, who's this Thor and Oakenshield that like contracted? He's like, oh, he's my friend. And then you kind of fast forward to essentially, which is really cool, the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring when he's finishing writing the book and Gandalf shows up. So keep in mind, it's 60 years later. You fast forward, Bibble hadn't seen Gandalf in like 60 years uh, when the Fellowship of the Ring started, Gandalf shows up. So that's kind of where it ends. Um, yeah. Definitely a lot. Great, great summary. Again, this is a two and a half hour movie. I mean, watch it. Like, Eddie covered it very well, but there's still a lot. You just got to watch it. Um, But thoughts on the third movie? Because, I mean, did you guys like it the most? Did you think it was a good ending to the trilogy? I mean, were you guys... You feel like trilogy. You Sorry. Just trilogy. trilogy. Yeah, you guys. Uh, do you get were you guys like satisfied? You... Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. for the most part. I think again, I don't know the book, but like, I feel like saying goodbye would have been nice to everybody. If you don't really get a goodbye scene, you just kind of get Bilbo coming back home. So, I think that was slightly unsatisfying, but I feel like everything else was fine for me. I don't know about you guys, but. I have mixed reviews. On one hand, yes, a goodbye would have been. But when I think about it, it's like it wasn't truly the end of the journey as much as the intermediate to the like like I see the Hobbit not an entire tell as one big thing. Because at the end, you know, Legolas gets sent to go with Century Fine, Aragon, and it's like, oh, like, bang. This is 60 years before though, but and it's like the whole age thing. If you don't understand that with Aragon, he's like 20 at that point or something, which is crazy to think that he could have been there like as an adult, but I don't know. I just think it was more of like, it's all one big story in a way. It's just another section. So I'm not necessarily the most upset that there wasn't like a big ending per se. Michael. Yeah. I thought, I mean, in terms of like the battle, I thought it was a pretty good conclusion. I'd say uh, it was a great battle. And so, <clears throat> It's hard to not love that. And yeah, it, I mean, it is the goodbye is not great. Like, Ballin's like, hey, you know, Bilbo, you should say goodbye to them yourself. And he just kind of like says quickly goodbye to everyone and just walks away. But for this typical Bilbo fashion at that point, I mean, because they present him as the burglar and the thief and moving around unseen, it's kind of what he does throughout all the three movies is just goes unseen. And so I think it's in his nature yeah. to just leave without wanting to say goodbye. Uh, and I, I think, will say, oh. sorry, just really quickly, when Eddie said at the end how sad it was when he said he was my friend, when the guy asked him who was Thor Norkenshield, I think it's really cool because the scene prior was him and Balin talking, and Balin was like, oh, he was our king and everything and all that is a legend, and Bilbo was like, he wasn't that to me, he was, he was, and then he can't say it, he can't say he was my friend, he just says he was and stops, and so that's when he has to finally say, he was my friend at the end. Yeah, man. And it's like Bilbo 
is not a fan of the dwarves in the beginning. It's it's cool to see that transformation from maybe not liking that group of people to like I care about them. You know, one thing I always found weirdest. It's like six years goes by, he didn't ever go visit them once. It's like, dude, they literally run the kingdom. Like, and you're like, you know, you're like best friends with the the king there. I mean. I think that's weird. It's just, I think it's weird that they like never explore outside the Hobbit. And it's like, okay, now that it's not so dangerous, that's not that far of a journey. I mean, it is, but it's like in the grand scale, grand scale of 60 years, you couldn't have gone out there once or twice. Like they would have sent you with an army escort, like your royalty, essentially. I don't know. I always think about stuff like that. And then, yeah, the battle, dude, the battle's pretty good. It has nothing on Twin Towers or Return of King, but it's it's damn good. Oh, here we go. Here I don't know, go. dude. I thought that battle was better than the two towers. What? From a from a logistical from standpoint. Deep? From Hell's Deep? From a logistical Hell's... standpoint. It's you got to see the dwarves and elves fight alongside and the humans fight alongside each other. That was lit. Okay. You didn't get to see the dwarves fight at all in Lord of the Rings except for uh, uh, Gimli. Yeah, because they were, well, well, we'll talk about we'll that. Talk, we will talk about that. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about that. There's a reason they were busy, my guy. I know. Deba- but that's what I'm saying. I think it was cool to see the dwarves fight as a unit and cool to see the elves fight as a unit because keep in mind, dwarves live like two to three times the lifespan of a human and then obviously elves are quote-unquote immortal. So like they have all those years to train. They should be badass. They are. They you get to see elite. that. They are pretty elite. Yeah. But, dude, Twin Towers, man. Dude, they send the Urukai army there. They're not winning that shit. There's no <laughs> way, bro. The, the way they, they were not united. I mean, the battle kicks off with the dwarves fighting the elves, which is so fucking stupid. Oh, it makes me mad thinking about it now. They're killing each other. The extended edition is so much better because you get to see the little ram sheet things they have and the, the arrow blockers. And I was like, what? Because um, I think I got all three all three extended editions for my birthday and did another watch. I was like, what? I don't remember any of this. But, um, you know, then it's like, it's it's super dope because then the orcs come and they're like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta like, you know, get together because these dudes are actually bad. And I think that's kind of crazy. It's like social commentary again. You know, Eddie, I think we've talked about this a lot in every episode. It's like, as we've seen in the modern world, maybe America specifically, there's not a lot that kind of brings everybody together and universally is like, yeah, that's the bigger problem. Let's put it all aside. And I think it's so fascinating in the Lord of the Rings world. Like they literally went from killing each other to backing each other up into fighting this massive battle. Cause they're just like, yeah, those guys are that bad. Like, I think that's really fascinating within the realm of that world. And it's like a known thing, like, you know, uh, but yeah, the battle goes on. It's about five armies because there's dwarves, humans, elves, orcs, and was it woods? I think it's the bat thing, goblins. I think, I think, the, I think the and Bjorn count as the fifth maybe. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe. They might have also split it up as Angmar and Gundabad. They yeah. might have. Because there's two, there's two, there's two armies. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Gundabad and Angmar. Yeah. Which is absolutely 
the orcs are overpowered when it comes to size, size. of military. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. They can send an entire army as a decoy, essentially, to bring in the other three armies. But yeah, it's I mean it's dope. You get to you get the open field battle where you're watching, you know, the doors and the elves do their thing, and then luckily the elves coming back up the humans, man, because they are getting clapped in defending Dale for the longest time, you know. And, it's crazy though. Shout out to Bart for that uh, surfing on that cart to go f- kill a troll all by himself. Elite. Uh, I'm a sucker for speeches and kind of cool little things. I think it's really cool when you, probably the midpoint of the battle or towards the end, you know, the um, the dwarves are losing hard and they're getting backed up to the to the gates of uh, Erebor and. Um, you see, who is it? Keely? Is it Keely who calls uh, Thorin out? Yeah. He's like, I- I'm not going to stand behind these walls while other people fight my battles for me. Uh, I could be wrong, but fight my battles for me. And then he kind of put, he puts his hand to show. He's like, let's do this. And it's like, and then you, and then you hear the orc. It pans back to the battle and like the orcs are going, their music. And then you hear the dwarf music, which is pretty dope. It's like super deep, but really powerful and then you see like all 13 14 of them bust out you know they bust out through this uh wall essentially and the or through the gate and they're like for the king and they just charge that they, and they, they re-rally and it's 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 again it doesn't te- it does not touch for frodo but it's it's definitely up there there's I, i'm sorry i'm, a I'm not gonna argue that i think i agree i agree you, you know I would even do I I think I oh that's you know I don't know if I I think I put it on par with the this when they run out of Helm's Deep. I don't know actually uh, that's that's a tough one. It, when they run out of Helm's Deep, oh man. Cause you don't know. I mean, I mean after you've seen it, sure. But first time watching that, it's like, dude, they're about to run into like, you know, eight thousand orc guy. Like, what? But I don't know, just a thought. But yeah, that I love the battle. Um, I know that kind of covered scenes and everything. Favorite character from the third one? Mm. I think still Bilbo, to be honest. I'll get. I'll definitely give a lot to Tariel though for calling out Tendu on a lot of bullshit, which may have changed him because I think according to the lore, he ends up as the supreme elven king of all once the rest of the elves left back to Valor. He didn't st- he stayed. I thought all the elves. No, no, no. Thranduil stayed with the Mirkwood elves and whoever else remained. So I'm pretty sure he became king of them all. I could be we're wrong. The, but I'm pretty sure that was. an episode on uh, the deeper There's a lot of stuff I've... that still remains. Okay. No well, doubt. How I understood is they didn't have a choice. Like they all like it was a mass. There was no more elves because you know, they like were. talking when you read about like the fourth age. It's like the days of the dwarves, like kind of disappear into the mountain, and the elves kind of disappear into the woods. And it's just the dawn of men. And talking about how evil can resurface because men have forgotten, which is more social commentary. But um, we'll get into that later. But I'm pretty sure yeah, he stays. Sorry, did not realize that. I guess. Um, Michael, favorite character. I mean, it stays Bard and Tariel throughout the whole. I mean, they're my favorite characters of the whole movie, of the whole trilogy. And yeah, this movie, it's yeah. 
Yeah. You know, isn't my favorite character? No, but I think I appreciate Thorin's character growth through the third film the most and what his character was in the very end. You know, you have a guy that he's a good guy, I think, overall, but, you know, somewhere between pride and feeling he has to meet these expectations, you know, it kind of makes him not such a great guy. And it's like the first film, you know, he he's a dick to Bilbo. And I don't think it's ever really rightfully so, but he kind of comes around. And then the second film, you know, I think he, he feels like he's met those expectations or at least the ones that he thought he had to meet. And so the ones that he really should have, and that's kind of his descend as a character into like the Arkham Stone and everything. And then the third film, you see that fully played out. And then it's like, it's just really nice to see his character kind of come full circle and realize that all he ever really needed to do was be himself. You know, I, I just, I really appreciate when characters come full circle. And I, I really appreciate the good, a good writing of a character that's good, but it's a little more complicated than that. So definitely. I don't know um, how it was written in the books. I don't know if you remember. I just read something that he wasn't, that he was kind of like a jerk in the books. Too? Based on an article, but like, yeah, something like that. I was going to say, because I think it's funny to see him and Aragon's journey be opposite, where Aragon starts out as the guy who's being asked to be a king, and he has to work his way there, but still realizes the same thing as Thorin, being that I can be myself, where Thorin starts as the heir and is high and mighty and has to be just the guy himself. So I feel like it's funny to see them go on opposite journeys to end up at the same place. Yeah. I think it's cool too because it's like the only thing I'll ever say that I don't particularly love about Aragon is that he's perfect. <laughs> like seriously though, you think about it, what does he do wrong? Uh, Not step like, up early like, enough? Yeah, but, it, but it's like the man's been kind of busy. It's not like he wasn't doing anything. You know, he was in, It was with the Rangers, man. Fighting. Uh, but Sure, that's it. That is a valid point, but it's like Thorne is not perfect, and it's cool to see him develop into a good guy or a someone that can be followed. So I, I always really appreciated that in his character. But so thoughts on? Do you guys think the Hobbit retains some of the magic of the original Lord of the Rings movies, or is it not there at all, or is it you know on par, Michael? Uh, I think, you know, yes and no. I think, yes, it does in some ways because it, you know, has a lot of the same characters, places, themes. So, from, like, from that perspective, it definitely it maybe intentionally tries to capture that, you know, bring back, you know, obviously Gandalf was in the book, so it's not like they made that decision, but, you know, Gandalf, Legolas, they have the Shire and they have Bree. Uh, so, I think in that sense, they do capture some of the magic because, you can't have those characters and not feel like, you know, even like Galadriel and Elrond, you can't see them and feel like it's not Lord of the Rings. But at the same time, I, I, I just, they're just not on the same level, I think, as Lord of the Rings. So. Yeah, I agree. You know, maybe this is not correct, but, you know, I agree with the visuals. I think part of the thing that makes Lord of the Rings special to me is just the stunning visuals, man. 
I, I believe they filmed, they still filmed The Hobbit in New Zealand, like they did the original. And I don't know if it's just the camera angles, the shots, what it is, just something, it's just, you feel like you're in Middle Earth. And there's something about just the realm of Middle Earth within Lord of the Rings that just feels special. And it's cool, I think, knowing what I knew in the lore. Well, I think I appreciate The Hobbit more too, because it's like knowing that almost all like the same characters are around. Like, it's kind of crazy to think like, like Aragorn is like 20 doing, you know, his stuff with the Rangers. And he, there's multiple battles going on too. It's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm deep diving a little too, too much, but it's like, you know, um, the King of the Rohirrim, he's like a teenager. It's, it's just crazy to think about, you know, Frodo hasn't been born, but it's like a lot of these same characters are around. Like they're just yeah, Gimli's alive. younger. Gimli's alive. Legolas is obviously alive. You know, you get to meet his dad, which honestly I didn't know. I didn't, never thought of him having one in the original. I think Denethor know. is like a kid. Yeah, Denethor is a kid. Um, and it's just I don't know. It's just something about it. it's just like there's they're there. They're just not in the current story, and something about that really. I don't know. It, it still makes me feel like it's attached deeper than maybe it really is. So. That's kind of, you know, and I think the music, I think the music's still pretty fire and spot on. You know, something I was thinking about a lot as I kind of sped run and the movies and was kind of listening to the soundtracks because I associate a lot of the scenes with songs. You know, there's there's a lot of big franchises. And I think Lord of the Rings does the best job with incorporating their music into scenes that are important. You know, like when I think about some of the bigger franchises, you know, I think Jurassic Park, the music that comes when you see the dinosaurs, it's like iconic with that. But there's, but it's never really used anywhere else, which I don't think is necessarily wrong. But I think Lord of the Rings, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, same thing. Great song. Even Star Wars, which we talked about yesterday, Eddie. Star Wars might be, might be close, but Lord of the Rings uses songs most, like in different they have happy moments. They have sad songs. They have songs that tell a story. I, I just think it's mind-blowing how well they incorporate music, even in The Hobbit. And I just can't think of a film franchise that does it that well. And I think, for me, that's what makes, honestly, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings series stand out amongst the rest. Any thoughts on that, though? I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think Star Wars is very close, though. Very close. But I, but I think it is in those little moments that you don't get as much Star Wars music versus the little moments in The Lord of Rings or Hobbit where you do get the music. So, yeah, I think that's what sets them apart. Yeah. yeah. No. And then uh, kind of coming towards the end of this episode, I know we touched on power scaling a little bit, but I think it's important to go back to that scene for fans that don't fully understand the lore how how powerful we're talking about these ghost kings of angmar are versus going against saruman gandalf gladriel and uh I'm slipping on his name elrond uh, elrond dude elrond's like a like a g like people don't understand how powerful this dude is like he he fought saruman for a minute like or sorry sorry Saruman. Well, you fought the Witch King too, so he fought the Witch King. Which, you know, if anyone remembers right, 
it took a hobbit and a female to kill him. So, you know, because no male could, you know. So, I'm just saying, just saying. You know, and it's like you have to have like a special blade to fight ghosts in Lord of the Rings. And it's like, I think only uh, Air. Uh, trying to think who has all the swords. Like, I think, I guess maybe all else could theoretically, just because they're tapped into the magic a little know. bit. I just know that Elrond has the ring Nar- Naria or something like that. The ring of yeah. water or, or air. So he has an actual ring yeah. of power. As does Galadriel, yeah. but Galadriel, I think she doesn't use hers, does she? She might, she might not. But Galadriel is a if she's an elf, but she's a little bit different than Elrond. She's a higher tier elf, I'm pretty sure, like a much like higher a... tier elf. Because the, the interesting part is that there's so there's levels to each person, which is why like Gandalf and the wizards are like. In a sci-fi term, they're like the AI that was built to protect humans. So it's that that's what we're kind of getting at here. That there's a lot of deeper dive. These people that fought there were all like some of the strongest characters still left in Middle Earth because the first and second age saw a lot of the most powerful characters go at it and die, unfortunately. But well, fortunately too, because they killed a lot of bad creatures and stuff. But yeah, I was about to say the second. Dude, it's kind of crazy. I started reading about the second age because of the series coming up. Bro, the third age doesn't look like no, it looks like child's play, man. They child, sorry. I, we will go into that later. I can't wait for that episode because my my deep dive, Eddie, into the second age. I've I need to crazy. start writing this stuff down because there's yeah. too much. Yeah. There's too much. I, I really can't keep it all straight because so many people die. And there's so many Aragon level tier guys, apparently. There's like the great king of the but Gilgalad. Sorry, yeah. Um, Elrond fights there. Bro. Yeah. And Elrond's in the first stage too. Yeah. I'm like, golly, this dude is old. Um yeah. yeah, he's thousands of thousands of years old. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, so I guess like, coming to the end, like any final thoughts on the hobby? I, I do I think we should expand maybe a little bit of time. A little bit. I think there's still oh. some stuff to definitely talk about. Oh, yeah, oh. Michael, do you want to start off? Some uh, thoughts. <clears throat> well, I, I, there's just one really funny scene that I want to talk about, and when you talked about all of the characters from Lord of the Rings, not all of them, but some of them being alive, uh, and and I guess it's I don't know if it's in the extended edition only, uh, but I was watching it, and when the elves take the dwarves into custody in Desolation of Smog. And uh, Legolas goes to Gloin and is searching him, and he gets his little like I don't know what you want to call it, a uh, little metal box trinket thing, and it has a picture of his wife and his kid. And he's like, "Who's this?" Like his wife. He's like, "Gloin, that's my wife." And he's like, "Who's this? A bomb, like abomination, this goblin troll, uh, like mix." And he's like, "That's my son Gimli." I think it's just so funny because like they they obviously threw that in not in the book but like that is just hilarious that he's already trashing on Gimli before he ever even yeah that is funny I forgot about that absolutely very very funny no I just think I mean there's still a lot to talk about I feel like in Hobbit that I don't know did you want to say anything else besides that I know you got some more notes that's why that's why I'm extending I I I know I have a lot of notes but it's it's just you know I mean I don't know if there's anything. Do you guys, do you guys think it's interesting that 
like in the Hobbit, there's no like big council being like, oh yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's weird how after the battle with the Witch King and Angmar, they're like, yeah, Saruman's back. Mordor's popping again. And it's only till 60 years later that everyone starts taking it serious. Like, I don't know if that's like a retcon issue of some sort, but it's like, look, like Gandalf and all these prominent people that do have influence, they know like Mordor is popping off that is like, they're not dumb and they, they know what's coming. You know, that's the reason he sends, that's the reason he sends Legolas to go start hanging out with Aragorn. I will say, um, I don't think people realize how critical Gandalf was to everything. He, the reason that he met, he met with Thorin. Not Thorin met with him. He met with Thorin because right. he knew that if Erebor wasn't retaken, he knew that something was happening in the north already. He knew it had to be taken back for the forces of good because it's an important place where Angmar and Gundabad can be held in check along with Mirkwood and everywhere else. He set those plans in motions. He set a lot of stuff in motion, which is why the world, even though it wasn't prepared, he had been doing his best to prepare them for what was to come and is why he was so, like, someone did a super deep dive into all the shit that he did. He's the most successful wizard to be sent over, basically, from Valar into Middle-earth, and he was a reason why evil didn't prevail for, especially a lot of the later ages, I should say. Maybe not the first and second, but at least the later ages are concerned. He played a crucial yeah. So it wasn't just like no one did nothing because Dale and Erebor got built up so that they can combat the orcs. That's where they were that whole time. I know they were fighting. They were fighting off the orcs in the north. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially with Eddie, you know, Eddie did a great job again. It's like, I wonder if, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Because Gandalf, like, he, I think he knows that if he doesn't get the Norse secure, that when the battles of Minister uh, starts, the humans, they don't have a fucking chance if the armies from the north come down. Because I, I remember, I think I was reading, it was like like 400,000. That's what, when I was looking at the Lord of the Rings wiki, they said, like, the battle in the north for like Dale and like the door, they fought like 400,000. And the battle didn't stop until like a week after the battle at the Black Gate. And it was only because like it made it uh, how I understood it. Only the reason they won that is because the orcs were like, oh man, Sarah's dead. Like we're done. And they like re rally. And I was just like, you're telling me? Because like pe- people who don't know, there was like, uh, be- like a month between. Battles of the uh, shit, Minas Tirith and the storming of the Black Gate. If I'm not interesting, it's like a week. I didn't know like that. A couple, it's like it's like there's a time skip, um, which obviously isn't covered in the movies very well. But if I remember, it's like a month or something like that. But it's like you're telling me, dude. They're just they got crushed up in Dale, man. Like no props to them i think if they were to do another series they should show that because it sounds absolutely brutal sadly our good friend our good fan um dane uh, they yeah dane yeah dies. he dies they, yeah well it's like his grandson it's like um bard's, bard's grandson dies as well i think yeah yeah because he's the king at that time yeah and he dies and but it's kind of, from how I read it, it's not really cool because, it, uh, 
fuck. Because as Eddie mentioned earlier, dwarves live a lot longer. So Dane Ironfoot is still there as the ruler of the dwarves, and he dies trying to like recover um Bart's grandson. I can't, I don't know his name, but the king's either, body. Yeah. But yeah. it was like cool when I was reading, I was like, holy cow, he's still alive. Oh man, he died like trying to hold him off to get this dude out of there. I was like, oh, and then oh, it's just like bad. Lord of the Rings. You know, a lot of series, and maybe this is my own pet peeve with, like, cinema in general. It's like, I hate when there's nothing on the line. I hate, like, you have to have consequences. And Lord of the Rings, not a gory movie, not a gory series. But they always, they always do, I think, the best job ever of putting people on the line, you know, and showing that good people that are strong and powerful and you think will survive. They're not going to, you know, and yes, good prevails, but at a cost, you know, which again, I think it all ties back to Tolkien and his experience during World War One. I. I think, you know, I don't, I don't actually know what he's actually said about his experience in World War One. I. I guess I should look, I should have looked that up, but based on, I know some of his other thoughts on society and how he's characterized that in Lord of the Rings. It's like, I think he thought and still you know, still did after, like, fighting the Germans was the right thing to do, but at the same time, it costed him a great deal. I mean, the guy, literally the reason he incorporates dragons and Lord of the Rings is because he watched dudes get cooked by a dude with a flamethrower, and, like, just his overall fear of, like, fire comes from that, and it's, like, that is literally where one aspect, of a huge aspect of The Hobbit and as you'll see, hopefully in the Lord of the Rings series, the Second Age—that's where that comes from. Like Balrogs. And... Yeah, it's like if I could have dinner with one dead person, it'd be Tolkien, because I'd love to like just have him pick apart the series now and be like, "Yeah, the reason this, you know, this is a guy like maybe I knew during the war, and that's who I've kind of based this off of." You know, I just think it's so fascinating. And uh, I got two questions then. And maybe we can end around this, but one question is obviously we we wanted to ask, are we glad Tolkien's estate hasn't authorized more movies or books or TV shows? But obviously they kind of have now. And the other thing too is we're talking, I mean, here's the thing for our audience. We covered this in Lord of the Rings episode. If you haven't listened to that, do so. And then obviously listen to this one. But the big thing is this. Okay, Tolkien... When we want to talk about modern fantasy, Tolkien is a god. This man had things layered out and layered out and layered out. And so it's it's kind of one of those things that even though we only get to see the little snapshots of the third age, right, or the early third age, I mean, there's so much more that he captured in the Silmarillion. So I guess it's kind of like my other question, too, is, as you're watching the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, like how are you comparing them to each other? And then how are you comparing them to any adaptation of book to movie? You know what I mean? I know we kind of talked yeah. about Lord of the Rings in, in the other episode, but I mean, that's so great. Question. It, yeah. T- give me one fantasy series that it's not compared to shit. Give me one piece of cinema that has anything to do with anything that's involved in Lord of the Rings. That's not compared to it. You know what I mean? You watch any even modern war film. I've had conversations with guys where they literally are like, "Well, Aragorn was a better, better platoon leader," or or like, 
you know, something like that. <laughs> or, um, well, that was, I mean, that was brave. That's still not as brave as like leading a charge in the orgs. So I'm just like, well, okay. Uh, and that's like the goofy side of it, of course. But, but seriously, like fantasy movies, I mean, I mean, even Star Wars kind of treks a little bit. It has some commonalities. Pirates of the Caribbean has some commonalities. I mean, those are two huge, those are two, two, oh my God. Those are two huge fantasy series that I grew up on. And it's like, they're not the exact same to Lord of the Rings, but they definitely are carrying some stuff from it. They're definitely, you know, I think the archetype hero debatably comes straight from Lord of the Rings. I, I, and another I big reason is because Tolkien was also, I think, oh man, he's a philosopher. He was a theologian. I mean, this man was like, like Leonardo da Vinci in modern form in some ways, to be honest. Yeah, this, this guy was crazy. So, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, fun little, fun little shout out. Shout out to the, the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier movie because there's a scene where they're asking Bucky, is like, have you, have you seen, um, I can't remember. It's like, have you seen uh, Lord of the Rings? And he's like, yeah, I read The Hobbit or something like that. I was just, <laughs> it's like, and it, but, but it was so funny because if you follow any like Instagram accounts for Lord of the Rings, people were freaking out. They're like, Lord of the Rings in the MCU question mark. Uh, <laughs> and they're just like, uh, Oh no, it is because not only did he mention that, but on Chris Evans uh, in the winter soldier, when he's, his list has Lord of the Rings on there. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and it's like, uh, Chris Evans and Bucky are, um, they're big Lord of the Rings guys. All right. <laughs> great w (laughs) big dub big dub you know but as for the token estate you know i think when i wrote that question or whoever did that was before the series popped i don't know maybe the series was coming um you know i think it's going to be real interesting because you know i know the main theme for me writing a question like that or probably anybody is that we've seen with star wars sadly some of the projects that come out with that thing I think the problem is when you make films as good as New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, you know, Return of the King, and you say that that's a brand, not just a standalone film, anything associated with that brand that's not at that level or that quality, it's just going to be a, it's going to be a disappointment. And you can't say it isn't because we just, we just talked about for two hours plus yesterday about how Phantom Menace, mid, you know, Attack of the Clones, mid, you know, and then we're, you know, we're going to talk in future episodes, how seven, eight, nine, debatably solo to some people for the Star Wars brand doesn't meet the standard per se. And it's like, same with even Pirates of the Caribbean, because if you're like me, you don't count any movies after the third one, you know? And it's like you just remember the series for those three movies. And so with Lord of the Rings, I think maybe just out of some of the other – again, I go on Reddit every now and then, and it's like see what other Lord of the Rings fan. Maybe the most gate-guarded piece of entertainment I've ever – bro, you can't say anything bad about it. You can't challenge anything. These people will come find you, and God help you. It seems like. Uh, but – it gets scary, bro. Go on those Reddit threads. I am. Yeah. I am on them. That's why I've learned so much stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but I'm just saying, if this series from Amazon flops, 
God yes. help the world. That that may be what breaks America. That might be the the final the final straw, man. Because I don't know. It's crazy too because they spent what like two two five billion dollars to buy the rights. Or two hundred. I don't know the cost no. to buy it, but I know they're going to spend a what is it a billion dollars? A lot of money. They're yeah. spend a billion dollars to produce and it. They've already purchased. If I'm, there's not a lot of information out, but if I'm not mistaken, they purchased five seasons already, and it's supposedly like eighteen to twenty-four episode seasons and an hour each episode, <laughs> which kind of makes sense if they've spent a billion dollars on a yeah. TV show. But it's like even even Return of the King was only like three hundred million, and people thought that was insane. Yeah, but keep in mind, Lord of the Rings made like three billion plus dollars. Hobbit made a billion dollars. Like I'm not saying Amazon's not going to make their money back. I think they will. I'm just saying that that's insane. Like they have they have to bring the heat, man. They cannot mess this up. Yeah, the good news is though that the Second Age, it's hard to mess up, bro. Like there's so much shit happening. but we have seen other franchises. You wouldn't think screwing up seven, eight, nine would have been that crazy, but they did. They no, no, no. There's a difference. There's a big difference. There's a big difference because they're pulling from the Silmar- Silmarillion. God, it's so hard to say. I don't it's, know why he named look, it that. I mean, <clears throat> Star Wars could have pulled from Legends as well. They did pull yeah, someone from Legends, though. They did. Yeah, but, but this is different. I'm saying it's different because George Lucas didn't write that. That's fair. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and his estate wrote The Silmarillion, which is now being produced yeah. as a show, versus George but Lucas Peter didn't Jackson, write The Legends. Yeah, but Peter Jackson isn't putting this out either, which is another thing that fans are... I'm telling you, bro, these people... I'm not saying it's necessarily me, but this is like... Because I look up every yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, people are like about to fucking riot. If this isn't to the same... Like they're gonna have to blow these episodes out of the park, and if they get one detail wrong, they may burn Amazon to the ground. Like I don't know, these dudes. Some of these dudes are like, "How dare they?" In all fairness, though, this is something that I had to deal with with Wheel of Time coming out. With the amount of people that came out as, as really gatekeepers and very much sticking to it has to be just like the book. This shit happened when Lord of the Rings came out. This shit happened again when The Hobbit came out. And I think to be fair, a lot of people afterwards we're like you know what that was good work so i think we're seeing that precursor lead up to it now yeah of course i'm hoping that it delivers but you know i'm just saying all in my final notes on this i hope it succeeds i want it to be good i want there to be 40 seasons of this shit i want them to eventually do some spinoffs where they retackle some things in the third age i want to see the battle of dale i want to see Maybe what Aragon, I could do it. You could do a fucking 24-hour movie on Aragon's life between 20 to 80, and I would watch that without a break. You know, I'd love to see, they should do another series where they talk about the first stage and before that, and Numenor, even more than they're going to, hopefully in the second age. You know, the, the Valar, that whole thing. Saruman's actual master. I don't know his name. Morgoth. Morgoth. Yeah. And how is there a guy above Morgoth? I, I think it was him, but let me just intervene. What he's saying Sorry, is basically the third age is weak sauce for a reason. Sauron was the greatest enemy in the third age, and this man was the bitch of the main baddie in the previous. Like the third, he's technically in the same tier as Gandalf, if we're being completely honest. 
he's on the same level, which is why I'm like, Gandalf, why don't you go Bonnie? But another conversation for later, low key. Because basically that's how I understood when I read it, that they are technically the same. Um, and then, yeah, it's like, I thought Morgoth had a master too. I don't know. I don't uh, remember. But to Eddie's point, Smog, everyone's seen, big ass dragon. Yeah, he's considered a small dragon in the second age. They're talking, there's a dragon that's like the size of like three mountains. There's a, there's a, there's like a picture of one and it's literally got its hands on the top of these mountain peaks, bro. And it's like the mountain, te- the mountain peaks are like its stomach line or something. It's, and it's shooting like lightning, I think. It is ridiculous. I'm like, how the hell do you kill that thing? You have one badass elf. That's how you kill it. And like, what? I'll find that picture and I'll send it to you guys. Coming back to my previous question, sorry, Mike. Sorry, I know we're going to tangent and we try to wrap it up. I think why you guys think that the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings was able to pull off the adaptations? I know this is kind of different from what I said earlier, but like to that point, Lord of the Rings did a good job, in my opinion, of adapting Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit, for its mistakes and issues in production, which for those that didn't know and we're going to comment on, Guillermo del Toro was supposed to be the director. He had to leave because of delays. Um, Peter Jackson ended up being the director again. But the unfortunate part was they kind of sped up the production. So he had to, and he comments on it too. Some of the times he didn't have the right storyboards for some of those scenes. He was just like, just fuck it, we're winging it. And that's why there's a, a bit of a lack of, I think, quality in some areas in The Hobbit. But I still think they did a great job. So I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, why do you guys think that they have succeeded, especially with The Hobbit, since this is the episode for today? Michael? Uh, well, I mean, I guess for The Hobbit, not that it's easier, but, like, you have, you look towards The Lord of the Rings and say, like, like, again, like, setting up the, you know, Legolas, hey, there's a ranger named Eric, or not, doesn't actually say his name, doesn't say his name is Strider, you know, like it's they have the ability or at least they're looking ahead into the future saying okay this is where we have to get to we can't you know do things that are not in line with lord of the rings and so we have to keep that in mind when we're making this movie and writing it so i think that makes it a little bit easier for the hobbit um and then i i mean i don't know because i don't know what made lord of the rings like how they made it so successful i really don't like i i don't but that's just, I, I don't know if you ever can replicate something like that when you do it so well. But again, for The Hobbit, it's something to look towards. And I know there's probably issues with the book to movie translation, but I mean, Lord of the Rings had a lot of issues as well, and they were just fine. So, you know, I think Michael's absolutely right because in a way, the Lord of the Rings cast was kind of an accident and not necessarily their intent like they found orlando bloom like kind of an accident like he was straight out of acting school actually he was still in acting school if i'm not mistaken and he like took time off to go to the films you know vigo mortensen he found he they literally were like they, i can't remember the original cast guy but he couldn't do it and they called vigo and they literally sent him the script and he, he learned the script on like an 18-hour plane ride in new zealand or something like that and like started acting like he got off the plane and got in costume and started doing it. It was absolutely insane. And then um, I think I think it all started 
with them hiring the former Rudy, Sean Austin, to play Sam. You know, he's just, just a character that convo- conveys heart and hard work, which is kind of, which is Sam in a way. It's kind of funny, the parallel uh, between those two characters in a sense. But, yeah, I think it's just it just worked out. Like, Peter Jackson's a fan. He made sure to always do a quality job. Like, like they spared no detail when it came to it. The cinematography, it's fascinating. I watched a documentary on CGI a couple months ago, and it's fascinating how much people really um, place importance on Golem as a character. Like, it was the first time that people used the stop-motion technology or with the dots and everything, and they talk a lot about how Andy Serkis and that technology was like – is like a pillar of CGI and what it is today and how it's used in cinema. And it's, it's just so fascinating. And it, like, I just think it just, it really worked out. Like, it's just one of those things where like Vigo Mortensen almost died, you know, uh, um, that uh, twin towers, if I'm not mistaken, they throw it when they're, he's on that cliff or yeah, he goes in the fighting. river. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, he almost drowned in the river for one. And then two, they threw a knife at him. It was supposed to be a fake knife. And it was a real one. And he actually blocked it. Wait, was that the first? That was the first yeah, movie. That was, that was Sorry, yeah. First one. Yeah, they throw a knife at him. They're like, it's not real. He deflects it. Thank God, because that would have killed him. He almost drowned in the river in the second one. I want to say he broke his ankle or his leg in the third one at one point. I remember he was like. I broke he was his like, toe in the second movie, too. Broke his toe. Broke his toe. Because the blunt sword hit him in the foot. Oh, my God. It's like, thank God he didn't die. Sean Bean. I, you guys ever hear a story about him and heights? Yeah, he had to climb up the mountain every day. Yeah, he had to climb up the mountain every day because he was too scared to get in the helicopter. I was like, bro. And um, he it's funny. I watched an interview on him where he appreciates the meme because he, I guess, he makes some sort of money off it, but like he hates it. And he's like, same thing with Lord of the Rings. He loves Lord of the Rings, but he literally gets cast to die because he said in an interview he had. Um, that a director told him that he was like one of the be- he was like the best at displaying death on screen, and so that that's like he kind of hates that like he's good at it I guess or something like that. And it's like he that's why he I guess he took like a lapse in acting because all he could get was roles where he got killed, like Game of Thrones, uh, another role where he doesn't make it very long. And yeah, I guess he was big mad at George or uh, whoever was directing that too because they told me he was gonna get to make it. And then you straight up lied to him about it. So it's like super funny. But I would say I definitely agree with you guys. I think having made Lord of the Rings really made The Hobbit that much easier to do in a way. Because if you make The Hobbit first, I feel like you don't have the same success. But you have The Lord of the Rings first. And then you say, hey, like, here's why Bilbo has the ring. Let's do that story. And that storyline, because that's a great one. That's a whole other book. You do that, you bring back the same characters, right? Ian McKellen, Christopher Lee, RIP, right? Kate Blanchett, um, Hugo Weaving. You bring back all these actors. And it's like, that's awesome because they're back. And you introduce even more characters. I think, yeah, it really did. Even though it didn't quite, I think, capture everything you wanted from it. I think it's great to always not do the same thing twice. And I think it was a good thing that it didn't, that you get more of the myth feeling and fantasy feeling in The Hobbit, whereas Lord of the Rings feels more realistic, but still fantasy. So, yeah. I agree. As much as I hate 
when people make movies out of order and watching this movie out of order, I agree. I don't think Lord of the Rings does as well if it's a second series made. You know, I, I just don't know how it works out, I guess. Maybe I'm sure it would be successful, but I just I can't like imagine it being that way. But Michael, any, any or I guess are we getting closer to the yeah, end? Yeah, probably should wrap yeah, up. Yeah. Any any closing thoughts on The Hobbit or even Lord of the Rings, really, Michael? Uh, you know, The Hobbit, I think they're good movies. It's a good trilogy. It's obviously not on the level of Lord of the Rings, but it's also kind of unfair to really compare them. And so I think you just got to appreciate it for what it is, and there is a lot to appreciate about it. And so I enjoyed the movies. Uh, I still do. I'll continue to keep watching them. They're good movies. So I, I really appreciate that they came out with them, and I think that they worked out really well. Yeah, Eddie? I mean, you know, for anyone that listens to this and wants to write a book or, or whatever, you know, or do their own, become a critic or something, I think diving into J.R.R. Tolkien, reading their books, you know, reading the lore on that, I think is a great place to start because I feel like he weaves in so many great themes that we didn't even talk about that I know we'll have another episode on. It's already written up in our in our outlines and stuff about the themes of Middle Earth. Um, which will probably bring back Michael and other people too, because there's so much more to cover. I think he does such a good job of weaving themes and social commentary within such great story. Like, I mean, just imagine he made a dragon because he watched people get caught on fire in World War One. What a way for him to take traumatic trauma. events and trauma in general and be able to try and manage his way through it by building such a wonderful amazing world where in it too there's a lot of horror as well right like it feels very realistic because to your point bryce it's like there's some great heroes in the second age they die but they die taking out the bad guys like like it's the cost of everything right so i think it's a good a good story and everything so yeah that's all i know on that the hobbit's a great movie i think i agree with michael you know it's unfair almost to compare it to lord of the rings but i think it has a lot of great stuff i will end on this because people People don't understand when people say it's a whole day experience to watch The Lord of the Rings. So I'll, I'll take you guys out with this last thing. If the actual <clears throat> version of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit trilogies have a total runtime of 50, 558 minutes, which is nine hours and 18 minutes. and or Sorry, The Lord of the Rings has a runtime of 558 minutes, and, and it's a total of nine hours, theatrical version. The Hobbit, it's 474 minutes, which comes out to seven hours and 54 minutes. Then, if you're an OG, you watch the extended editions because it's just that much better. And if you do that with the Lord of the Rings, um, it comes out to 686 minutes, which is 11 hours and 26 minutes of cinema. And if you do with The Hobbit, it comes out to 532 minutes, which is eight hours and 52 minutes. Now, if you were to watch both, the Hobbit, watch it all in one go. It comes out to the extended editions, to um, one thousand two hundred eighteen minutes, which comes out to twenty hours and eighteen minutes of cinema. When we say hey, it's a, if you sleep for four hours, you can do twenty hours worth of uh, film. Right? Look, yeah, it, you got to start this at two in the morning <laughs> and end it at two in the morning. That, that's essentially. I, I mean, you know, actually, you'll end it at midnight, but. You know, it just really depends. So maybe you can start at four and then end at two at night, you know, so you get some some rest. But, yeah, that's what you have to do. 
don't hit the fast forward button, man. You're missing out. That's all I'm going to say. It's my last. Um, this has been Struggling with the Bums. This has been, again, I love nerding out. Uh, I love this shit. Cover about it all day. Uh, but, yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, you can follow us on our social media um, at bum, uh, Bums. Uh, B, B, oh, my gosh. B-U- M uh, underscore MS. Yeah, BU underscore MS. The bums. It It is the bums. I really butchered that. Sorry, guys. Um, Thank you for listening to the episode. See you guys later.